my family camped a lot in holidays. Um, we, we used to travel up and down the east coast of Australia, especially lots of outdoor camping. But it was one. There were two trips in particular, going from Adelaide through the centre, Alice Springs, up and then around to Brisbane, and then another trip from Brisbane to Darwin. And you just go really out west, and there's none of the ambient light, and you just see the stars and the sky, and it's just there's a black expanse scattered with lights and, and there's a beauty and the more you look at it and study it the more you see there's, there's an even though it's sort of chaotic there's an order and it's enchanting and it captures your attention and you wonder at the one who made the stars and that's God's plan here in the, this letter to the Philippians he's reminding us that that's what he's doing with his people uh, chapter 1 verse 27 Paul urged these Christians, these Philippian Christians, to live a life worthy of the gospel by standing together. And from that verse on, really, Paul is unpacking what that looks like. All of chapter 2 is all about this call to live worthy of the gospel, stand together for the gospel. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11 next week, because I, I figured that's just the one that highlights Jesus so well. And if we've got people visiting our church family, that's the one I want to put Jesus front and centre. Um, but today we're looking at this passage from verse 12, continuing the same instruction, and with this vivid image in verse 16 of shining like stars. So my plan this morning, I'm going to look at how we shine like stars, then we're going to look at what shining like stars looks like. And that should give us plenty to chew on. Before we go there, though, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to see who you have called us to be, um, the work that you are doing in us and the work you call us to. And we pray this so that we might stand out for Jesus in this amazing way. Pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so how do you shine like a star? Uh, my default assumption is that it's going to involve hard work. I have friends who um, did exercise science. They, they are now gym instructors, and so my Facebook feed is re regularly flooded with those sorts of before and after shots as they try and convince you to be, go along to their gymnasium. And I just look at those shots, and either before and the after, and I go, gee, that, that transition takes hard work. There's no sort of easy path to go from th through that process. And often it feels like that's the same for the Christian life. You know, there's this, we become Christian, but to actually live the Christian life, it's, it's take some effort. I've got this bookshelf at home and there's, it feels like several of them are just all about spiritual disciplines, um, how to live the Christian life. I find it in my own life just to make the space to read the Bible. At the moment for Joss and I to force out everything else and actually just sit down and pray together is hard work. And yet, you meet other Christians who will tell me that I'm doing it wrong, if that's the case, because the Christian life is by faith. And so what I really need to do is to let go and let God. It's, it's really only by God doing the change um, that, that I'm going to see any transformation, and I just need to surrender myself to that. So which is it? Hard work or God's work? And the answer here in Philippians is, yes, it's both. 100% God, 100% us. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I sort of want to pull that apart a bit. First of all, notice the word obedience. It's not a great a popular concept in our society, doing what someone else tells us, particularly not doing what God says. We live in a culture where freedom is the ultimate good, uh, where you want to be free to choose your own career, choose your own marriage partner, choose your own morality, choose your own identity, choose your own sexuality. But Paul says, no, this culture is warped and crooked because it grumbles against God and yet it argues with his commands. Look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. When I read that, not complaining and arguing, initially like, that's the verse that I want to see my kids reading you know don't don't complain don't argue but when you look at the passage you realize um, there's actually an old testament background to this and a bigger picture going on so um, if you've got the modern niv if using the bibles that we use can you notice that there's inverted commas in verse 15 paul's actually pointing us backwards in the to the old testament and it's that song of moses that we read as our first reading that that deuteronomy 32 where moses remembers the contrast between how God treated Israel and how Israel treated God. I meant to have this up on the screen, so I'm really sorry. If you've got your Bible and want to flip to Deuteronomy 32, that's fine, but I'm going to read it. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it starts with God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Can you see what Paul is doing in Philippians here in verse 14? When he talks about a crooked and warped generation, when he talks about arguing and complaining, he's remembering the Exodus. He's remembering the behavior of Israel who were saved from Egypt but then didn't trust God, didn't live with him as their king. And he's and he sort of taken that picture and he zooms it out and says, this is the world. This is a world where God has made it. He's got a good plan for it. And yet it's chosen to reject him, argue with everything he said and to trust Satan. We don't consciously do it, but his lies are, are the feeding our narratives this world is ruled by Satan, and so God comes along and he saves us um, through a much better sacrifice than the Passover sacrifice. He, he sends Jesus to die on the cross for us, to take our sins, so that we can be what Israel wasn't, his children. Can you see all the language there in verse 14? Children obeying his word. God saved Israel... God saves us, but Israel didn't work out their salvation. They didn't obey God in the desert. But if Israel failed, why are we going to succeed? And that's why we can't move past 13. We've got to go back to verse 13 and really suck on that concept because it says that our situation is different. We have God working in us. 
by his spirit. And notice what he's doing. He's changing our willing as well as our doing. So he changes my desire. I hear God's word and instead of going, no, I don't really want to live that way, I say, I recognize that as good. And I want to do that. But then he's also working in my doing. He actually enables me to act out, live out the thing that he's calling me to do. This is so much more than let go and let God, isn't it? It's not this passive sitting around waiting for God to sort of somehow change me. No, I trust as I hear God's word, I trust that I will be enabled by God to do what he says. 100% God, 100% me. I need him to be at work, but I'm not passive. I'm listening and I'm obeying. And that... That is how we stand out from the world around us. Verse 15, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Uh, They say, uh, I'm not a sculptor, I don't know this is true, but they say that a sculptor, when they encounter a a, a piece of wood or a, a stone, it's not that they simply just make what they want out of that stone, but... But there's sort of, it's like the statue is already there within it and they discover within it, as they chisel away, they discover the statue that will be. And I reckon that's a great picture of us working away at our lives. God has already got that, that image of Christ that he's at work forming in us. And we're chiseling away, working hard, seeking to live for that picture, seeking to pursue it as we hear what he says, putting it in practice confident that God is already shaping and forming us. How do we do it? It's as we work, God works. That's how we'll shine like stars. And what does it look like? What, what will it be, our lives be like? Well, there's three examples that the Paul then gives us of people who are shining like stars. Himself, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Have a look at each of them. First of all, there's Paul himself. And Paul shines in his selflessness, self-forgetfulness. See, on one hand, he works hard for the Philippians. He's like a runner, just plodding, you know, jogging every morning around and around the track. He's like a labourer who's got his wheelbarrow and he goes over there and he loads the wheelbarrow and he takes it over there and he dumps it out and he goes back and he does it again. It's just hard work. Verse 16. Then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. And yet, Paul is quite happy if all this hard work gets forgotten. So, so he uses this picture from the Old Testament. You'd have the sacrifice on the altar, the, the, the cow or the lamb would be there burning. And then what you take is a drink offering and you'd pour it on top. Now, at the end of the sacrifice, you often got to share in the meat that was cooked. But that, that drink offering, it just disappeared in the flame. And Paul says, That's, I'm happy for my life to be like that. If, if your lives bring glory to Jesus, I don't mind if mine gets forgotten. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, and so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul shines in his selflessness. Uh, Timothy, Timothy shines in his love, in his concern for these Christians. Because again, Timothy isn't working for himself. Timothy loves Jesus, and that's why he loves this church. Verse 19. 
I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy is this worker who is actually not concerned about his reputation. He's he's not concerned about him. He's concerned about these Christians. And I reckon we need more Timothys in the world today. We need more Timothy gospel workers. Please do make it your prayer that that we would see young men and women rise up, put up their hands to be qualified as gospel workers who don't have their ambition to be the next Tim Keller or the next big preacher. Their ambition is to quietly work a way to see people know Jesus. We need more and more workers like that. And and actually, we just need more Timothys, don't we, in our church. Uh, More more and more men and women who, who live not for themselves, but to bring glory for Jesus. So they, they, they'll care for others in the church, they'll lead home groups, they'll teach kids, be youth leaders. It might cost them in terms of their career because they, they keep that time aside. It, it might affect their social time on the weekend. But they're not thinking of their own interests. They're thinking of Jesus and the need of others to know him. That's a great picture, isn't it? I praise God for the Timothys we already have. I just keep praying that we'd have more and more people who shine in how they love, love Jesus and love people. And finally, Epaphroditus shines. And it's his willingness to sacrifice. See, here's Epaphroditus, he's a Philippian. He's from the church in Philippi. And the church has sent him to Paul to help Paul's work. He probably took money, maybe some gifts. But somehow in the process of delivering that help, he almost died. Verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. See, Paul loves to hold Epaphroditus up as an example. This this is what he loved the Philippians to be like. Verse 28, this is what it means to shine like stars. I am all the more eager to send him so that you may see him again and you'll be glad and I may have less anxiety. So, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him. He almost died for the work of Christ three just really wonderful examples of people living shining like stars just some quick observations about what themes that come out in their lives these are people who are changed by their salvation before they knew jesus they would not have been doing the things that they are doing now it's driven by being saved by jesus and that change makes them jesus focused notice that really clearly it's first of all a focus on jesus Paul doesn't mind if his work's forgotten. Timothy doesn't think of himself. He thinks of Jesus. Epaphroditus risks his life because he's a soldier for Christ. It's about Jesus, 
but a focus on Jesus turns their attention to others. Focus on Jesus turns their attention to others. It's what makes them different and what's, what they stand out for. They live for the sake of others. And so this is the call for us. It's a call to, to, to depend on God to change us, but also a call to, to be changed, to actually work at change. Um, Timothy Keller tells a great story. Um, apparently one day after church, he's standing chatting. He, he's a minister in New York, and he was chatting with a lady who'd come to visit. He said, well, what brought you to church? She said, well, actually, it's a bit of a story. See, uh, I work in uh, a finance firm, pretty high, you know, big, this is New York, so big money, lots of uh, um, multinational businesses. And um, one day I made a mistake in my work, and it was going to, it did cost the company millions. It's the sort of mistake that you usually would get sacked for. So I, I told my boss, and he told his bosses. But when he told the bosses, he took the blame for what I had done. So he told them, and yet he didn't blame it on me. I didn't end up getting sacked. And I went to him afterwards. I said, look, why did you do that? He says, oh, no, it's nothing. Look, don't, don't think about it. He says, no. She says, no, I've worked in this business for years, and this is not the sort of thing that happens. Why did you do that? He says, well, if you must know, I'm a Christian. And I know that Jesus took the blame for me. He died on the cross for me. And knowing that, I reckon I should take the blame for others. And so I figured, well, you know, I might lose my reputation, but you'd lose your job. And the lady thought, well, someone who thinks like that, someone who has such an opposite way of thinking in the world around her, I need to find out where that comes from. So she went along to church. That's what this passage is, is calling us to, to be people who shine like stars because we've met Jesus. It is hard work. It's hard work to keep making that decision and Paul recognises that. He puts a word to it, but then he also gives us that assurance. It is God at work in you. He makes the change possible. I, I want to make one last observation in this passage and, and that is just... That living like this and praying for people like this in our church is going to cost us. So, so it's something I, I didn't know where else to fit in this sermon, but did you notice how much Paul loves Timothy? Paul loves Epaphroditus. He'd, I'm sure he'd love to have them working with him, and yet he keeps sending them out to be part of the mission. He, he sends them off to look after churches. Epaphroditus, the, the church has made a sacrifice to send him to Paul. And I reckon that's really helpful for us because we are part of a church family that is committed to keep planting churches. Twelve years ago, there were two small congregations, one at Capalabar, one down at Victoria Point. We prayerfully worked to see more people come to know Jesus and we did that by, we started new congregations up at Capalabar. We sent people out. There were, there were congregations really comfortable and then suddenly people that they loved, they had to send out and then they've done the same thing in starting Sure Hope. And I know this is on Josh's heart, it's on mine too. This isn't something we plan to stop. 
We want to keep praying and looking to plant more churches to keep sending people out. Even if we didn't want to keep planting churches, if we weren't willing to make that sacrifice, if we pray for people in our church to be called out to ministry, to go and proclaim the gospel elsewhere, we're going to have to send them off as missionaries, as pastors of other churches. There's a cost to shining like stars and it, and it affects our relationships and, and our, our community. We want to keep growing close together knowing that we will end up sending people out. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be people who shine for Jesus. Please let us be stars that shine. Be at work in us that we would want that sort of beauty and that distinctiveness. I pray that next week especially, as we invite people to visit our church family, they might see something different, taste something different, and want to find out the source of it. Please, Heavenly Father, we pray that you do this to the praise of Jesus' name, and we do utterly depend on you to do, be at work in us so that we desire what's not natural to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to have Lord's Supper now, um, and we're going to be a good chance to remind ourselves of how distinctive we are.